Section 27 of Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts by David Alec Wilson. Section 27 The Unfinished Speech and Dance. In fairness to the eloquent hero of this adventure, it should be told, lest any reader does not know it, that wounded leopards are as dangerous as wounded lions or tigers. There was one that was clumsily handled by villagers in Burma a few years ago, and six men died of those it injured, and I know a man who has told me, with a shudder, that he has twice seen a clever hunter at his side killed by a wounded leper charging home. It was early in 1888, and on the plains near the mouth of the Sitang River in Burma, that I was one of about twenty men with rifles who gathered round a big and leafy tree in which a mortally wounded leopard had taken refuge. None could see him, and, when his growl was hushed, we could not even guess his whereabouts. It grew tedious standing there, like waiting for a train that is late. Many men fired at moving twigs, on the chance that he might be below them. He ought to be in bits by this time, said one at last, and falling down in detachments. But nothing fell, not even a drop of blood. It became more and more difficult to keep the villagers surging around at a safe distance. Then out stepped the brave sepoy, and, heedless of the dissuasive shouts of his companions, he prepared to climb the tree. I shouted, Stop! And he grew eloquent, not in the style of Bengal, but in the best Indian manner, heeded sincerely by seeing himself balked of a chance of distinction. What is the danger to me? Am I afraid of anything? Let cannon and rifles thunder and rattle. I will walk into myriads of them if I am bidden. What is a leopard to the like of that? I want to show what I can do. I will show I cannot be afraid. Oh, let me go. Do not bid me stop. What is a little leopard? I could take a tiger by the paw. It is a duty to slay that leopard, a duty to face and kill him, a duty to the people, a duty to the sakar. Here note two things. First, see the innate instinct of obedience illustrated by the reference to the sakar or government. Fancy any European talking of it in such a connection without derision. Among our very soldiers it would raise a laugh. Well, indeed, do the Indians say, as they are now doing, that it is Europe that leads and pinpricks them into anarchy. The other thing to note is the fine oratorical tact of the speaker, worthy of Demosthenes. There was not the faintest allusion to what we all knew, that the leper was sure to be dead presently, this did not make it less dangerous to close with him, but only made it quite needless. The speech ran on. It is a duty to slay that leopard. Through this big village he went ravenous, seeking whom to devour. He terrified the women and the children and made the men shiver, while the sky rang with shrieks. He stalked as a master through the town. Here the order, by a sweep of one arm, included the adjoining village to the north and the country shuddered with horror. Here, 
with a sweep of both arms, he included the entire countryside. In fact, the leopard had been in search of a superfluous village dog, and when he found himself noticed and heard the people yelling, he skulked from bush to bush till he was shot, and then ran up a tree. The orator expressed the matter differently. There is a great deal in the way of putting things. What he next said was, He left the woods, the home of his kind. He came among the dwellings of men. Shall we make way for him? Shall he be suffered to ravage and run away? Shall he come and go like our master, as if we all were sheep and he the eater? No, give me but the word, and up I go, and take him by the paw, and fling him down. Danger? What do I care of danger? Oh, let me at him, to show how brave a man can be, and make the beasts beware. For, of all the duties a brave man has, at this moment he looked up, as if at the sky, but saw the leopard, suddenly visible, coming down the tree, and hastily ran back, and was seen and heard no more. A curious sequel is worth telling. The wounded beast ran into a bush, and a young Burman policeman, who understood of the sepoy speech only that he was boasting of bravery, resolved to show himself the better man, and sprang forward, dancing a beautiful pas seul, and brandishing a big knife, the Burman sword, a handier weapon than ours. I'll finish the leopard, he cried, and started for its hiding place, running past me. It was a pretty sight. We never see now in Europe the solo dances still visible in Burma and some other eastern countries on religious high tides. We can only read of them in the Hebrew Bible, which tells of King David casting off the trappings of royalty and leaping and dancing before the ark in a scanty garment and so scandalizing the gentilest of his wives, Saul's daughter, Michal, who quarreled with him about it. A dance like David's, if you are lucky, you may yet see in Burma, but hardly again in this new world of breech-loaders and explosive acids. Hardly, but by some rare accident, can anyone see what we saw then, a spontaneous pirate dance, done singly, so to speak, a man dancing forward, flourishing his sword, to a deadly encounter. A most deadly encounter it might have been, the leopard was shot through the lungs, and bleeding to death, inwardly. I thought I had noticed him spit blood, and anyone could see he was badly wounded. But he was only dying, not dead. His eyes flashed in the dark below the brushwood, where he lay, and he raised his head and half sat up, showing his teeth and growling, a very loud, monotonous, continuous growl. I just was in time to knock our hero down, within five yards of the leopard, and step between him and it, quickly joined by one or two others. There was nothing to do but stand ready. The uplifted head was lowered slowly. The growl grew less, and was punctuated by pauses, which grew longer and longer. There was a long pause, during which there was nothing to hear but men's breathing. Then the dread silence was broken by the voice of a young Burman, creeping past me on all fours and crying, Just let me pull its tail! It was an idle day that followed which gave them leisure to enjoy themselves. About twenty-nine men spent at dividing the corpse. They quarreled, 
and I quoted to them the proverb, The lot causeth contention to cease. Sure enough, it did so. They cast lots in peace, and told me that eating such a beast made men partake the strength and courage of the dead. I thought of many things as I listened, such as Marco Polo's story of tribes in southern China, who were so sure of acquiring fine qualities in this way that, if a traveler seemed uncommonly beautiful or otherwise gifted, they sometimes killed and ate him. It is a strange belief, and, in one form or another, it has appeared in many countries. But all the same, whatever I happened to remember on this occasion, the prevailing feeling was that the next time there was such a job to be done, with such a crowd, it would be alike expedient and gracious to delegate the leadership. End of section 27. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.